I've never heard uh, that we can accompany the mum in the operation theatre. What have you found to be the biggest needs of parents that have been part of this programme? I would say they still not know how to access such services like Healthy Babies, Healthy Futures. Transportation, language barrier, cultural barrier and comfort zone was the key challenges migrant women still faces here. Cost of living uh, is huge in the last couple of years we've seen. That is a big challenge. Hi, and welcome to the Parental Wellbeing Podcast. According to the 2018 census, there are over 700,000 people who identify in the Asian ethnic group in New Zealand. They have a median age of 31 years old, over 60% live in Auckland, 21% had one child, Around 25% had two children and close to 9% had three children during this census. 77% of this group were born overseas. So what are the needs of parents in this particular group and where can they go for support? To talk about this with me today is Vishal Rishi. Vishal migrated to New Zealand 18 years ago from India and has been working in the public health sector for the past 16 years. He has been an ongoing contributor to the health sector across various areas, such as addressing determinants of health at varied levels. Vishal is currently a White Ribbon Ambassador and the Director for the Asian Network Incorporated, otherwise known as TANI. Welcome Vishal. So are you able to tell me a little bit about your parenting journey so far? Oh, yes, Serena. First of all, I would like to thank you for arranging this podcast. And it's a really good initiative so that people and the communities can know where to seek help, where they can find more resources for parenting, especially for migrant parents, South Asians or East Asians or otherwise. So thank you very much for inviting me today to this particular beautiful podcast. Thank you. Yeah, in regards to my parenting journey, it started in 2011 when we were blessed with a very beautiful baby girl. She is 12 and my son is eight. Both times we have had some different experiences, especially about the maternity experience and also the secondary care experience and also the primary care experience. Although we have been living here for last few years before our parenting journey, even then, it, it took us a lot of time to digest a lot of new things we have learned during that time. And also some of the things uh, uh, probably the health workforce might have learned from us as well. But we were out of the hospital and after four or five days because both my kids are C-section. And that is why we had to stay in the secondary care in the hospital for a little bit longer than the normal delivery time. Yeah, it has not been so easy, I would say, as it is for the parents for t- who are becoming parents now. However, there are lots of challenges we hear every day from the lot of other groups we work with. But I will just stick to our experiences was, first of all, it was C-section. The good thing is that doctors and the secondary care and the primary care looked after really very well because we had an Indian doctor in the primary care of a GP who was very supportive but the midwife was Pakeha but she had a very good understanding 
of various diverse ethnicities because we live in a suburb in Oakland, which has got more than 80 ethnicities. So that midwife comes across with lots of migrants, refugees, uh, and other communities. So she was well equipped with the cultural aspects of the things as per which we were not expecting at the very first place. So moving on to the midwife to the C-section, then we had to go with another midwife in the secondary care. We were not aware of that before because we wouldn't have the same midwife because it's a, it's not a normal delivery in the normal one. She could have accompanied us. So the last moment when the midwife changed and the mental state of mom was like, oh my gosh, she won't be there. And the very first time culturally, it was quite a different experience. So many uh, experts, doctors or nurses were just around her table. And I was given a chance to be part, sit towards the head of mom. That was quite I've never heard uh, that we can accompany the mom in the operation theater. So that wow. was quite a good in a way, but it was a bit of a, a different sort of a feeling. I would say hard to explain whether good or bad, but um, unexpected. unexpected when I heard, okay, yeah, that's fine. Although the good thing was my parents, the father side parents, they managed to just fly from India that time. Oh, just for chance. three, four weeks, probably plus and minus again, we had a small house, his parents coming just one week before the birth. And then you have to just have that balance in the house generations. And also we were not aware what to eat after the birth happens. And then we, when we come back home of what we have to do. So mom was there to uh, guide us. So again, we came to know later this plus and minus for that as well. So I will touch base on a lot of other things in the program, but in, in a nutshell, I think we forgot everything what has happened during the hospital stay or otherwise, but we were very happy when we brought our little one back home after five days, especially the one cultural aspect, which was very different was as soon as the operation happened. She was transferred to the recovery ward and less than 24 hours, she was asked to take shower on her own. That was very shocking basically because in India and in various other Chinese ethnicities and cultural norms are, they do not take shower for, I think certain days, like two, three days, or at least some recovery needs to be there. But here within 24 hours, like they will say, you just take you to the shower room and then shower. Mm -hmm. So that was quite, quite interesting. And then I came back home and we asked like, why we don't shower for certain days and why they made a shower. Those learning things. But now during our second childbirth, they didn't force us to do that because the understanding of the mainstream might have shifted from last four years to, to the second one. So they didn't force us to shower, which is quite interesting. And now the things are improving from both sides. The migrant parents are also learning and also the workforce here, the Western star, um, they're also learning at the same time. So yeah, I'll just leave it there, but I will cover lots of other challenges, barriers, which we have faced and a lot of other parents may be facing currently as well. 
I think a program can help them to have a better access to the services. Thank you yeah. for telling me a little bit about your yeah. parenting journey so far. I remember when I was in hospital with my first child, it was during COVID, so we couldn't have visitors. And my mother would send some food with my partner into the hospital for me. Because I remember she, she even said, there's certain food you're supposed to be eating. Yeah. Also, the first time I think the fathers were not allowed to stay overnight in, the, in, in that ward. But the second time, I think they allowed to the late night until very late. But recently, due to the continuous advocacy from a lot of Pacific, Māori and other groups, now they're allowing fathers to be with mums in the maternity wards now. Uh, we are working with lots of service providers at ground, at strategic level as well. So a lot of consultations we have taken part, of, especially for maternity services in recent years. And every time our audience and the parents who took part, they really wanted that to happen. And in Vatakare Hospital was the very first hospital who started that and then followed by Middlemore Hospital and some other hospitals in the country. They allowed fathers to be there. Yeah. I think that yeah. enabling a support person to be with you, especially overnight, is, is critical. It is critical. To have yeah. that support. Yeah. And it's through their advocacy that, that mm. enabled that to happen. Yeah, I think we have contributed towards that in a very positive way, yeah. Let's now move to the Asian Network Incorporated. Can you tell me what is the Asian Network Incorporated? Oh, yeah. Asian Network Incorporated, as you can see the logo on the screen, we are also known in the community like TANI. It's the abbreviation T-A-N-I, the Asian Network Incorporated. This organization started in the year 2002, when a lot of Asian immigrants were migrated to New Zealand, especially primarily in Auckland region. And that time, Auckland Council did um, a community leaders forum to know the community's needs for that particular time in year 2002. And as a result of that forum, a few key community leaders came together and formed a steering committee who really wanted to investigate further, what are the barriers and challenges new migrants are facing actually in public health sort of space. And as a result of the very first needs assessment, which was conducted by that steering group, the key barriers came, were identified that time were barriers, linguistic barriers, and also uh, transportation and leading to other well-being issues, especially the new migrants, what they don't know, they don't know. So that was the key thing for us at that time. The Ministry of Health put their hand up and invited the steering committee to be part of some sort of a better structured organization. And then they supported us with the 20 hours project coordinator, whose role was mainly to network with the communities, different Asian communities, and then bring them together and no more needs what their barriers are and then we bring in the experts uh, on the tables and act as a bridge between the asian community and health and social service providers so that was the prime role of the asian network in the initial years i would say from 2002 to 2009 probably so it was a networking connecting bridging the gaps an organization but after 2009, I think it started before as well, 
community started to come back to us and started to ask, look, Vishal, we have been consulting the community for a few years now. Nothing is happening on the ground. These are the gaps. Can you please let us know what to do? So, for example, there were lots of issues. Community used to come to us and share, but the funding restraints were, have already been there with lots of other funders. That was the time when Asian Network started to explore alternative funding than the government funding. Then we started applying for lotteries, Foundation North. That time it was ASP, Bank, and some other fundings. Uh, then we created our own programs, which could address the immediate needs of the community that time. And slowly we moved on to from the networking, bridging up organization, advocacy organization to the delivery organization in 2009. So we continued our advocacy work and also we moved on to the delivery into the public health sector. Now from due to COVID recent three and a half years, we had to step into the social services aspect of the services as well, because there's a lot of crossover between public health, the prevention side of health and the social services when it comes to family violence prevention and other socioeconomic factors when we discuss in public health, that there's a lot of crossover there. Now we do a bit of a social work, public health, networking, advocacy, and other things. So this is our core role. But I think I would say if any migrant is feeling stressed about accessing any services or stuck somewhere, we work with a range of other ethnic social service providers as well, because it's not that we can handle and take everyone, but we would have some resources or right pointers to direct the people in the right direction. So there are lots of cultural organizations around New Zealand we work with, lots of health service providers we work with, and lots of councils, local governments we work with. I would say, just send us an email or call us. We shall put you in the right direction very quickly. It sounds like you cover the full spectrum of need in the community. And you're, as you mentioned before, you're a contact and even if you yourselves as an organization may not be able to help that person or community directly, you'll be able to point them in the right direction. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned after a few years of the Asian Network Corporation existing, that the community started coming to you and saying, Bisha, this is what the community needs. What can you do? Is that how this program, Healthy Babies, Healthy Futures started? No, actually, because women, migrant women still goes through lots of barriers to come out of their either work zone or home zone to the community zone because they have lots of challenges and responsibilities at the same time. Because being a migrant mom may not know the driving and here in New Zealand, public transport is so great, as we all know, <laughs> that we must have a car at least. Sorry, I shouldn't say that, but that's the reality of the ground, because if in Auckland we start going to public transport in a different direction to work, it's going to take ages in some of the areas, but some of the areas is quite convenient. So transportation, language barrier, cultural barrier, and the comfort zone in the, at the same time was the key challenges migrant women still faces here, right? They come across with those challenges. Even that time, 10, 11, 12, 15 years ago, 
we were hearing some of the stories and some of the experiences of various health consumers, we call it, because we work in the consumer health consumer space as well. So we know there have been lots of disappointments from the primary care and the secondary care experiences from the public, from the people, from the community. But there was nothing an organized way to address those issues. So after the continuous advocacy, we and the other groups and DHPs have been doing with the Ministry of Health, eventually in November 2012, Ministry of Health came up with an RFP request for a proposal nationwide uh, to address the maternal obesity and child obesity and maternal health issues at that time. And that was the time when a lot of community leaders and a lot of community providers, along with the DHPs, came together and responded to that RFP jointly. So wow. what happened was Health Board that time and Auckland District Health Board, along with a few of the community providers, responded to that RFP that we have designed a program and we are capable all together to deliver and to address the needs of a migrant Maori Pacifica communities. There were about seven or nine similar RFPs for different regions were introduced by the ministry. So our proposal was unique compared to all the proposals because most of the proposals were from top to bottom approach. Like either a PHO would have filed the proposal or the DHP would have done from their learning aspect, what they would have learned in the last so many years, they have put it in the response and submitted it. But here with this particular collective, it was very different. It was from bottom to up approach. We were called for many meetings with the DHP because they were consulting us before putting in the proposal together. They just started that groundwork first, rather than just what they knew they could have done the proposal very quickly, mm. but they didn't do that. So that was the big uniqueness of our initiative that it was bringing the real voices from the community, from Maori communities, from Pacifica communities and from Asian communities together. And as a result of that, uh, we were very much successful in getting the contract done for this particular region. This is how it started in early 2013 was the first year and we are into the ninth year of Healthy Babies, Healthy Futures. And I would still say we are not experts. We are still learning every year in every group of different moms. We learn new things every day, but I can say this now with you that every year we have improved. So we have been improving continuously and making changes to the programs, this Healthy Babies, Healthy Futures program, according to the needs of the community and the moms, which means eventually uh, we would have improved this programs a bare minimum of nine times already. So that is our strength, our team's strength and the support from the DHPs and the Ministry of Health, of course. They're on yearly contracts, everyone, but every year due to the robust evaluation process processes in place, robust feedbacks, robust improvements, 
we are able to secure every year these contracts. But we have been advocating since this is a very regional focused contracts, like it is for only mums of ADHP and Vitamita regions or counties Manico have a similar program, but they do not do what we do here in this region. We have been talking to the ministry from last one and a half, two years to make it a national program because it has got a very good proven record and very good outcomes for the mom's health and baby's health. So yeah, ministry is still considering, but there are no signs yet due to a lot of other challenges we have had yeah, in the course. recent years in New Zealand. So you've told us a little bit about the history of this program. Can you tell me what's involved? I believe there's five modules. Right? Oh yes, it has got a, I would say two big components, right? One component focuses on the mums who may or may not be part of the or virtual modules, which you just mentioned. Regardless of that, they can still be part of the health messages, which is our text match program. So that was a kind of a unique component uh, uh, in our RFP that this is a service which is managed by NIHI, National Institute of Health Innovation, based in University of Auckland. All the messages, mums get, or the whanau gets two to three messages in a week about mums and baby's health. They have been designed by the registered nutritionists from different ethnicities, and also peer reviewed by our technical advisory group, we call it TAG, and also then again reviewed by the DHP and the ministry's nutritionists as well. It has got multiple layers and also this is free of charge. That is one component. And another component is nutrition courses, which has got different modules. Due to COVID, I always say thanks to COVID because COVID has enabled all of us to think differently. And during the COVID time, this, we were running these modules face-to-face -face with in different localities in Auckland, but we had to transfer all that information and knowledge to the electronic form and the electronic modules so that we can able to deliver those courses remotely as well. So that's why I always thanks to COVID. Uh, it has helped us to stretch our thinking. The good thing is now this courses modules are available digitally which means we are still able to offer these courses for the mums and the whanau who do not reside in Auckland region, but they may not be become the part of the prizes and the other opportunities we have here for the mums and whanaus who live in this area. Yes, these are the two major components of this whole program. So what you're saying is, even though the funding and the intention is for the participants to be in the Auckland and Waitemata DHBs, that actually your online program is available throughout the country. Is that correct? It is available throughout the country, but they have to send us an email and case to case, we can register them for the online modules and then they can learn all the resources are there, right? We are just sharing the resources because we have taken all the modules on Teachables. As you would know, Teachables is a online platform for online learning, structural learning processes. Lots of universities and educational institutions 
use that software. So we have transformed all the uh, modules into small snippets on Teachables as well. So yes, all the moms from other regions are welcome to join, but they have to get in touch with us and then we will give them access to the Teachable platform and they can learn. However, they, we still have limited resources for text match, which is restricted to this region first. And we have restricted prize giving as well. So if you have completed, anyone completes those online modules, they may not be eligible for the prizes or the other encouraging stuff, which we do here in Auckland, because there's only very limited funding and uh, yeah, only for this particular region. But hopefully, fingers crossed, who knows next year what happens, yeah. So we've talked a little bit about access to this course. Can you tell me a bit more about what the course actually involves? Yeah, it involves, I think we have already started major two components. One is online text messages, which is available only for Auckland and Wetamata mums and the whanau. And the, another is nutrition courses, which includes different modules for mama, for the little ones, one to two years old, and then two years to four years old, which is the nutrition for tamariki and nutrition for whanau as well. So it has got those four key major modules, which mums, we expect all the mums have to clear. And then thereafter, after completing these four modules, which are delivered by our registered nutritionist, Bushra Ibrahim. And after that, we do have a lifestyle challenge program, which keeps the mums going because in four weeks, we do not expect them to change the lives or change the lifestyle very quickly but now they have absorbed that knowledge in four weeks time just one workshop per week and then we roll out our lifestyle challenge with them lifestyle challenge includes lots of components like what are the smallest thing they might have learned and started to adapt in healthy living in their for their whanau for their little one and for themselves as simple as drinking more water, reducing salt, because acculturation is a biggest issue and a challenge for our migrant families. For example, we want to keep our traditions. We want to hold on to our traditional cooking methods, traditional eating habits, but we also adapt a lot of Western style because we want to be part of where we have migrated to, right? For example, easy access to cheese and lots of creamy cakes, sugar. It's, it's so tempting. It's so tempting on, on, on the shelves when you go for shopping. So yes, definitely in these modules, we teach them shop on budget, where to look, where to go for shopping. When you enter the, enter the supermarket, any supermarket you go to, we say as simple as stick to the walls. Don't get into the aisles. Right? All the fresh producers, right? <laughs> stick to the walls first. Make a list. Don't go in a supermarket without a list in your hand. Right? Mm -hmm. So once you make a list, then you will only focus on most of the stuff. If you go without the list, then you focus on everything. And park your trolley outside the aisle. Don't take your trolley inside the aisle. Park your trolley outside the aisle, get in whatever you want and bring it back, put in the trolley and go. 
very small tips, but it, that has made a big difference. For example, I remember when we migrated, we used to bring in lots of 20 liters cooking oil, cheaper and very good quantity, much cheaper. But then as we started this program, we learned, oh, wow, although we bring the big one to save money, but we were advised to transfer that oil into a smaller bottle, like a 500 ml bottle, and then start using the oil. And believe me or not, it has made a big difference in our weekly and monthly consumption of oil. Interesting. Oil. Yes, it is just psychological. Yes. Once you pour it from the bigger thing into the pan, uh, it's always a lot more than mm. what we used to, what we really needed that time. Yeah, very small, small tips really do help. And these are the th things which we are also learning from our moms. And every day in the lifestyle challenge, moms share their recipes, share their own recipes, improvised recipes, and share their pictures. Uh, if they are not walking, even started to vacuum the house while they're pregnant and going out a little bit or a short walk, which they were not doing before mm. is a great achievement. Increasing water, just having a glass or a jug full of water on your table, on your desk, on your bench top at, in, in the house is always so encouraging to the whole family. When they see a full jug of water, regardless they're going to make a coffee, they'll just drink a few sips of water. So Thank this you. was like, it has to be made visibly clear and available for the Fano or the family members to have a better access. There's a tap as well, but if there's a jug and a glass always there, more likely it will be empty in a few hours. Again, being readily accessible, right? Yes, yes yep. readily accessible. The same methodology which our corporates use in the supermarket, <laughs> but at eye level. That's right. right. So same way, just transfer transfer that knowledge into our daily lives with the healthy lifestyle. And it's interesting what you said about some of the mums talking about some of the food that they're preparing, because what you're saying is through the nutritionist, you're not wanting to change anyone to move to a no. different diet. What you're doing no. is retaining the traditional the, types of yep. meals, but maybe in a slightly healthier yes. uh, way. That yes. Made. Just switching very small little things. For example, Many moms do cook pancakes for their kids. Mm. So grating a little bit of carrot won't harm. Putting some banana slices rather than sugar. Yes. So replacing the sugar with natural sweetness and also making it delicious. And it's a kind of a variety for your little one. Mm. Otherwise you bring a ready-made bottle of pancake and just shake it and do it, it's pretty simple, but it's label reading is another component of one of the workshops. You don't have to remember everything. You just start scanning the labels a little bit, mm. especially what in light blue color does not necessarily means it's lighter on fat. Um, corporates are using very smart language now. They have named a product as a, light beans for example it does not mean 
it is light in any ways, right? It is just a brand, but people might think it's lighter than the normal one, but the sodium level might be higher in that lighter one. No one knows. So it might appear for mums to be a little bit tedious to read labels all the time, but once they start doing that, they need not to do every time. Then they would know next time what they have to pick. Which means sometimes mom say, oh no, every time we don't have that much time to read labels. Oh, don't worry. Don't stress yourself. Just identify three to four items which you always buy. Just read those ones. Now you know which one to buy. Next time focus on another four items. So you need not to memorize any everything, right? So th these are the few of the key tips we always keep giving. That's really helpful though, because we know in general with the Asian population, there's a higher degree of diabetes yeah. and other sort of cardiovascular diseases when you get older as well. Yeah. And I personally had gestational diabetes when I was pregnant with my first child. And I learned very quickly what mm. I, what sort of carbohydrates were okay and how much was too much because I mm. had to monitor myself yeah. and do finger pricks six times a day while I was pregnant. Mm. And the types of information that you are sharing in this program will be really helpful in general when it comes to people's day-to-day -day lives throughout their lives and also teaching their children healthy options, which is great. Yeah, yeah, indeed. With parents that have attended this program, and I realize a lot of this is online now, did they raise any other concerns that you hadn't previously known about? Look, definitely when it comes to the cultural aspects, there are lots of not very good people always share the bad moments and the secondary care. There must be some good moments as well and good stories, but we come across with lots of um, uh, not so nice stories from those wards, the aspects, and especially about the other services like Planket and midwives, what they do, they have limited time limited resources. So what our program does is we are not trying to duplicate or replace any services, but we are there which enhances what Plunkett does. For example, Plunkett nurse would come only once a month or then slowly it keeps on changing. But our program enhances what the knowledge they give and then apply the cultural lens on it. And, and then we start to deliver and address the issues there. This is what the key component of the program, because we complement the existing services in the sector. And especially when it comes to the gestational diabetes, then we do have experts we bring in different workshops as well. If a cohort of mom or a group of moms would say that they would like to hear about a certain topic, then in the third or fourth workshop, we try to bring in that expert to the workshop so that they can talk and ask questions for that particular issue. Not only gestational diabetes, but there are lots of other issues like mums or the mother-in-laws tell something else to cook, but, but our nutritionist or our program suggests something else, right? So how to balance that? Yeah, the challenges. Um, the in-house challenges are also there, which they often talk to us a lot of times. So yeah, these are the things I think it's equally important when we guide them how to handle that and tackle that. We need not to 
fight or argue in lots of things. These are the things which we always tell them. Yeah. So how to have a respectful conversation with your mother or mother-in-law, for example, but also educating them on what your nutrition Exactly. That's why our programs are open. The grandmoms and parents can also attend. Okay. Those workshops yeah, are not only for mums, but yes, it is focused on mums and babies, but we are not taking mums and babies out of their whānau or family. So they can bring in their older people in the family or even husbands can attend those sessions. And can I ask, what have you found to be the biggest needs of parents that have been part of this program? I would say they still not know how to access such services like Healthy Babies, Healthy Futures. Probably the biggest needs are they don't know what they don't know. Very small little changes if they improvise their cooking methods and eating habits. The big changes, the big improvements can be made into their health, especially about the gestational diabetes and other uh, issues which are very prominent for South Asian communities, which they can also address that time. And that would be very helpful. I know when I went through that journey of gestational diabetes, I had a single two-hour course of meeting, I guess you could say, with another woman about what to eat and how to manage when you do have gestational diabetes. But that is very generic when it's just an hour or two, right? So to have something more comprehensive that's based around your traditional meals and how to amend those to best look after yourself and your baby and to take that learning through the rest of your life is that'll be invaluable for a lot of people. Hmm. And especially the new migrants in the recent few years we have seen, they have limited income. Only one person is working. And if the parents have joined in that there are five adults in a family of six adults, and only one person earning and father is mostly busy in doing two shifts uh, that is also a big challenge cost of living uh, is huge in the last couple of years we've seen mm. that is a big challenge for which we are hearing from lots of parents and also they what they don't know the services available which i've just mentioned earlier mm. as well so i think these are the key very hot ones uh, which has come just in the last two, three years, quite a lot. And that is the reason why this year we have boosted our, since we are delivering a lot of things online, we are pulling some resources from the venue hires, venue booking, and putting it into the price giving. Like we run four groups in a year, for example, the four different batches in a year in each season. And each batch, I think we distribute around $5,000 worth prizes. Wow. Which means this is a kind of encouragement for our moms to adapt changes. These are the prizes we give as a lifestyle challenge, which kicks in after four weeks of workshops. And then they do for a few weeks. And then we do have a panel of judges, which we choose from the same ethnic background professionals for it could be a nutritionist it could be a doctor it could be another person working in that sort of a sector so then they judge we don't tell them mom's names or identity is not revealed at all only the dishes the challenges they might have done and the physical activity challenges so this is how we do that yeah 
So it sounds like if you live yeah. in Auckland or Waitakere, there's, there's a lot of incentives to do these four weeks yes, and to carry and on. Yeah, yeah. WhatsApp groups and other social media, the mums keeps sharing all those recipes and lots of new things and healthy lifestyle tips which they would have learned. And you mentioned just before, you've mentioned a couple of times actually around access and not knowing what you don't know. Yeah. And you've mentioned that Tani is a place to go if you're wanting to know more about the programs that you have or more about the support that might be available to the listeners. Yeah. Uh, where can they contact you? You mentioned email address. What's the email address they can contact you on? You can email us on info at asiannetwork.org.nz or they can call us on 0800-00-TANI-TANI or they can go to our website www.asiannetwork.org.nz or they can contact us specifically for Healthy Babies on healthybabies.org.nz as well. So there you go, four different methods of contacting yeah. the Asian yeah. Network Incorporated if you are after any support, regardless of where you live across the country. If there isn't a program like this in your region, then you can still access their online modules anyway, which is great. Thank you so much for your time today, Visha. It's been really interesting listening to the background around Asian Network Incorporated, how it started, how it's moved a little bit further based on what the communities need. The fact that you work alongside Māori and Pacifica groups as well when it comes to the needs of their communities. Yeah. It's really enlightening to see people working together for the mm. needs of their communities. And the fact that even though this is based in Auckland, that it is accessible across the country. Yeah, and fingers crossed, hopefully, let's see what ministry decides. If this is made a nationwide program, then I think that'll be a very big hit for all of us. Thank you so much for your time, Visha. Pleasure, pleasure, Serena. Thank you very much once again for, for inviting us for your podcast and all the very best. Thank you very much. Take care. This is the Parental Wellbeing Podcast. My name is Sharina Hassan. Thanks for joining me and learning how to more effectively care for ourselves while we take care of our families.